of this subject because it's a very interesting one. The Lord Jesus Christ did say things about the temple um, and we've read some of those things that he said as we've read through that uh, chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 21. Now, we know that uh, there are similar messages that the Lord Jesus Christ gave in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. Uh, and I have quite often said, you know, um, these messages and I link the three together. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. But really, this Luke 21 that we've read today was a separate occasion when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke there um, concerning the temple. If you, if you look at this a little bit more carefully, you, you'll see that um, it speaks about him there being with the people. Some, verse 5 says, some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones. And in a, a later verse, we read of um, can't just see it at the moment, but we do read in a later verse uh, about the fact that he was talking he was talking to the people generally. He was speaking to his disciples, but he was doing it very publicly. He was speaking to his disciples. Perhaps it's a um, towards the end of the chapter, but it doesn't matter. But um, he does say there, yes, that's right, verse 37, right at the end, in the daytime he was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the Mount of Olives, Mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple for to hear him. What I'm trying to say is that... Um, the Lord Jesus Christ was questioned by, or spoken to by the people about these stones, these lovely stones of the temple. And it was a lovely temple, of course, even this, it would be the second temple. But um, it was a lovely temple, uh, and they were taken up with the temple. And then, of course, what happened when it was finished? The Lord Jesus Christ went at night time into the Mount of Olives, and then he came back again in the morning and people would come to hear him again. So this was the sequence of the things that as Jesus was going into the temple, people would hear him, then he would go up the Mount of Olives at night time, then he would come back to the temple the next day and people would hear him. Now that of course is quite different from what happened in Matthew and the Olivet Prophecy. In Matthew 24, well, Matthew 23, I suppose I should turn to first of all. In Matthew 23, it says there, the Lord Jesus Christ said right at the end these, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. And then he said this, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth. 
till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So this wasn't a question of speaking to the people, then going up into Mount of Olives and then coming back. What happened here was, before we get the Olivet prophecy in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13, Jesus went away from the temple and he left it, not to return, until they received him and said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And, um, and then, of course, in this particular case, in Matthew 24, it was... Uh, it says there that his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They were talking about the temple. Now, in, in Mark 13, it says there, one of his disciples saith unto him. So we have there in Matthew that there were disciples there, but it was one that spoke in the first place and said... See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus replied to that just by saying, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. But then when he went to the Mount of Olives, there were four disciples that came to him. We read their names, verse 3, Peter and James and John and Andrew. And they asked him, when shall these things be? He had said there will not be one stone left upon another. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Or, as we have it, going back to Matthew 24, it says there, tell us when these things be. And what shall be the sign of thy coming, thy parousia, thy presence, and the end of the world, that's not the cosmos, the, the uh, material world, it's the eon, the age, when about the end of the age. And so what I'm trying to say is, Jesus was going into the temple day by day and speaking to the people, and he said much the same thing as he said later specifically to his disciples, but he went to the Mount of Olives at night time, came back in the daytime and went on speaking. But when he gave the elevate prophecy, it wasn't to the people generally, it was to the disciples. And this time he had left the temple altogether, gone into the Mount of Olives, and was not going back into the temple anymore until a certain time of which he speaks there, yet to come. So really, that's what we can say. We can say in a way that uh, Luke 21 fits in after the, the, the woman giving of her mites. Mr Humphrey was talking about that. A certain poor woman casting her, her mites into the treasury. Then comes the discourse that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the people in Luke 21. And if you look back in, in Mark, you will see somewhere there um, the story comes again of, um, of uh, the widow. I'm looking at the wrong chapter, but there we are. It would be in chapter 12. 
chapter 12, verse 41, there came a certain poor widow and threw in the two mites to make a farthing. But then when he spoke to his disciples in 13, what we read of in Luke obviously came between Mark 12 and Mark 13. So that's good to get, to get the idea. And really it means that although the, the, the sermons that the Lord Jesus Christ were very much the same, Luke 21 deals more specifically with the temple, whereas Matthew 24 and Mark 13 deal more specifically um, with the second coming of Christ. Now, of course, don't, I'm not saying exclusively, but that's how they are. Can we say they speak principally? Luke 21 speaks principally about the temple, not exclusively. Matthew 24 and Mark 13 speak principally about the second coming of Christ, but... Um, they mention the temple as well. So that's just really to put the thing in the setting. Now, what I wanted to say next was, is an example of stones versus worship. If you turn to Luke 21, you will see there that uh, they talk, the people came to him, verse 5, how the temple was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. That was what they were particularly thinking about. That was the thing that took their attention. What a wonderful temple it was. And then again, of course, you get the same kind of thing with the disciples. Because in Matthew 24, it says the disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. They were taken up with the buildings of the temple. What a lovely, magnificent building it was. It may not have been like Solomon's temple, but it was a magnificent building, a lovely building. And uh, when you turn to Mark 13, it's the same, really. Uh, one of the disciples says to him about the manner of the stones and what buildings are here, what lovely buildings they are. That was the attention that the people and the disciples gave to the building of the temple. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he was concerned about the worship in the temple. It didn't matter to him about the stones, but he was concerned with what was going on inside the temple. And if you turn back in Luke to chapter 19, you can find similar uh, stories in Mark and in John. But if you turn back to chapter 19, um, verses 45 and 46, he saw what was happening inside the temple. They were selling things and buying things. And the response is in verse 46. The response of the Saviour is this. My house is the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. 
The Lord Jesus Christ was not concerned with the wonderful building. He was not concerned with all the stones. He was concerned with what was going on. A place that is built, presumably for the worship of God, should be used for the worship of God. That's the principal thing. Nothing else should take its place. But that's what was happening in the temple there. And you would find similar stories in John 2 and again back in Mark, of course. The Lord Jesus said this because he was concerned that such a place should be used rightly. It didn't really matter about the architectural merit of the place at all. Now, can't we say it's the same kind of thing today? You people come to London. I don't know what you see in London, but there's lots of people come to London. Americans come to London and they say they want to see Westminster Abbey. Or they might say they want to see St Paul's. Well, of course, I'm not saying that it's not interesting to go into these places. They go to other places. If you go into Canterbury, the thing that they say is, go and see the cathedral. We sometimes go on a, co a coach outing. My wife and I, just a little day trip, and we've been down to Canterbury, and the brochure for the coach says about the cathedral. Look at the cathedral. What a wonderful place it is. But God isn't really interested in that. What God is interested in is what goes on inside. And the truth of the matter is that men make it a den of thieves. I think if you went into Westminster Abbey, Westminster Cathedral might be worse, St Paul's Cathedral, Canterbury, or any of the others, whole list of them, Salisbury and so on, you would find that there's a, a tremendous amount of idolatry in these days. They're not giving glory to God. My house should be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. But ye have made it a den of thieves. They're thieves. Have you ever thought of that? They're thieves. They take, they steal from God his glory. And it's not just idolatry. There's lots of things that happen in these places which are nothing else other than blasphemy. There are blasphemous things that go on. And all this robs the Lord of his glory. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ isn't concerned with the stones. Uh, and strictly speaking, God's people aren't really concerned with the stones. God's true people aren't really concerned. You know, some of us, we like, we like our... The ordinary buildings, don't we? Just little meetings. That's what they used to call them in Bunyan's days, meetings, meeting rooms. And they can meet, but when we meet together, it may be a simple room. There may be no wonderful architecture. There may be no stained glass windows. There may be nothing else in which man likes to glory and get the glory to himself. But there are places where people meet with God, and that's the important thing, isn't it? To meet with God. Well, what I was going to say was there's going to be a day when God will deal with all these buildings. He will deal with all these buildings.
They'll all come tumbling down. They won't last forever. The stones may look very ornate, but they'll come to their end. Uh, and we really read about that. I mean, it could happen. It could happen before the time spoken of in the book of the Revelation. We don't know, do we? Things do happen in this world, um, sometimes very quickly. But if it doesn't happen before, I suggest to you that it will certainly happen at the end of this age. Because you read in Revelation 16 about the pouring out of, of the, second, the seventh vial. The pouring out of the seventh vial. In Revelation 16, in verse 18, it says there were voices and thunders. Perhaps we should start at verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Verse 18 says, there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. Can you imagine that? There's been some earthquakes, haven't there? But there's going to be a great earthquake right at the end just before the Lord comes again. Did you know that? Did you know that? There's going to be a great earthquake. There have been some great earthquakes. There was one in Uzziah's day, wasn't there? Zechariah talks about it, although... Uzziah, yeah, Zechariah. Zechariah talks about it, doesn't he? Um, a lot later. Um, about 300 years later, because it was a great earthquake. But this is what it says here. There was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great and the great city was divided into three parts and the cities the cities of the nations fell the cathedrals in them will be the same they're full it's talking particularly about Babylon of course in Iraq um, great Babylon came members before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his anger. The great cities fell. Now if you look in this chapter in Luke again, in verse 7 of Luke 21, he was asked, Jesus was asked, Master, but what, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things come to pass? What sign will there be? And the Lord Jesus Christ gave the answer. Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Time draweth near. Well, in the verse 20 we read, When ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. The stones wouldn't be one upon another. What's the particular sign? It would be compassed with armies and then the desolation is very, very near.
Don't be deceived by anything what people say about these things. But there will be the sign of the coming. And the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 21, Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them which are in the countries enter thereunto. For these be the days of vengeance. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Of course, we know that it did happen. Round about 30 years afterwards. Jerusalem was put into desolation. The armies did surround Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but um, the Roman army was very cruel. They were determined, and of course the Jews were determined not to be beaten. But they did surround Jerusalem under Titus, and the temple was destroyed. What the Lord Jesus Christ has said was true. All these things that the people, even the disciples, thought were so lovely, they all came to an end. Isn't it a picture to us? All the things that people like set their hearts on in this present world, they will all come to an end. We went down to Masada when we were in Israel. I know that's not Jerusalem and it's not the temple. But you know, some of the Jews tried hard at Masada to hold out against the Romans. But they did it very well. They were very clever in what they did. They stopped the water. They kept the water that fell from the rain for themselves and didn't let it go down to the Roman army. And they were looking after themselves, but the Romans built up a ramp. And in the end, the Romans came up and the Jews were at Masada all committed suicide well I don't know that that was exactly the same in Jerusalem but the armies of Titus were cruel Rome was known as being of iron and uh, that's how it was of course the Lord Jesus Christ does go on to speak about the end of this age in this, um, in this chapter 21 he does say in verse 25 there should be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations and so on then shall they see says verse 27 the son of man coming so he's going on to speak about the end of the age and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but of course that's not our subject today although in a sense things will uh, come into that it's noticeable that the Lord Jesus Christ uses that word desolate isn't it your temple will be left to you desolate, desolate. And we can say that when the Lord Jesus Christ left the temple and said he wasn't coming back until some other time, spiritually the temple was left desolate. But when the Roman armies came, the temple was physically left desolate and that was so it's interesting to see isn't it in um, Ezekiel if you look back in Ezekiel chapter 21 
Ezekiel chapter 21. And those of us that studied the book of Ezekiel a year or two ago found it all, perhaps it was last year, found it all very, very interesting. And well, can I remember Mr. Douglas speaking about the way in which the Lord left the temple then, left Jerusalem. It was a very remarkable message that we heard. But look at um, Ezekiel 21. And in verse 25, God addresses through the prophet, Thou profane wicked prince of Israel, the king that he was, Zedekiah, whose day has come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Remove the diadem and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. And this is verse 27 that I want particularly to speak about because remember Ezekiel was speaking an earlier time than the earthly life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn him. Three overturns. Well, we know that the, the um, temple at Jerusalem was overturned shortly after Ezekiel spoke this word. Nebuchadnezzar came in and overturned everything. That was only for 70 years. After the 70 years, you remember that Zerubbabel went back with uh, others. Nehemiah, we might think of, and Ezra and uh, Haggai and Zechariah and the temple was rebuilt but Titus came in is the second overturn Titus came in and destroyed the temple in AD 70 but the third overturning is yet to come That will occur when the next temple will be built. And you all know that the Jews are planning all the time to build a temple. If they can get an opportunity, um, they, will, they will build the temple. At the moment, on the temple site, there's a Mohammedan mosque, the Dome of the Rock. But if they can, and they've got plans for it, when we went over there, we saw what they said in the museum over there in Jerusalem. And uh, they have the plans for, for doing it again. But in that temple, the Antichrist will come and place his idol. It's called in the Bible often the abomination of desolation. That's how Matthew speaks about it in Matthew 24, isn't it? Verse 15, is it? Somewhere there. Um, yes, verse 15 the abomination of desolation shall go in. And that's spoken of by Daniel. And if you've got a margin in your Bible, you can see the references in Daniel to his speaking about the abomination of desolation. That will be put into the temple. And it, that wasn't in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes because the Lord Jesus Christ speaks it his future. And he was after Antioch, Antioch Epiphanes. It's funny how people say these kind of things about being Antioch Epiphanes. But this indeed will be the last the um, last time. We, you know, Jesus spoke about this. If you look at John 5, it's a, John 5, verse 43. It says there, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. 
But if or when another shall come in his own name, him he will receive. And that will be the Antichrist, of course. But that will bring the judgment of God upon the Jewish nation. And when this last desolation occurs, when troubles do arise for the Jews, then they'll take heed to the words of the Saviour to flee out of Jerusalem to escape the things that will happen there. And we shall find that um, in those last days, just before the coming of the Lord, there will be two men which will be in Jerusalem. And you read about them in Revelation chapter 11. They're called the two witnesses. Verse 3, I will give my power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. Well, you can work that out to be three and a half years. These are the two olive trees that Zechariah speaks about and so on. They'll have power to shut up heaven that it rain not. And then as much as Malachi speaks about Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord, one cannot help thinking that one of these witnesses will be Elijah. Others have thought the other one would be Enoch. I rather favour, although we're not told in scripture, so I wouldn't be a bit dogmatic, it's likely Moses, the two that were seen on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. It does say in verse 6, they'll have power over waters to turn them to blood, which is exactly what um, Moses did in the days of Pharaoh. Zechariah describes this time in chapter 14, Behold, chapter 14 at verse 1, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, and he says there, I, God will do it, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is the work of God himself, and that's what he says. <coughs> I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and so on. So that's what will happen and they will find their glorious temple once more for the third time will be overturned. But the wonderful thing about it is that um, in verse 3 it says, Then shall Jehovah go forth and fight against those nations. When they think they are wiping out the Israel people, wiping out all their possessions, Jehovah will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So that will be a great day. And then, of course, it will be that the Lord Jesus Christ will appear in glory. We read about that, really, in the remainder of chapter 14, and perhaps we'll look at something of that tonight. But the Lord Jesus Christ will come in all his glory. But while you're in Zechariah, look at chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 12, Thus speaketh Jehovah of hosts, saying, Behold the man, whose name is the branch, 
he shall grow up out of his place, he shall build the temple of Jehovah, even he shall build the temple of Jehovah, and he shall bear the glory. And he shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the man whose name is the branch. He who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he will come as king and priest, and he will reign, that's what it says. He will reign. He will sit upon his throne. You know, this is the temple the Lord himself will build there in Jerusalem, and the Lord Jesus Christ will be in it. And he will sit upon the throne. In the place where the Ark of the Covenant used to be, in the Holy of Holies, that is the symbol of God's presence. God himself will be there when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. In a way, that's confirmed. If you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days saith Jehovah they shall not say no more the ark of the covenant of Jehovah neither shall it come to mind all these years they had that in mind neither shall they remember it neither shall they visit it neither shall that be done any more at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Jehovah. And all nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of Jehovah, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. That will be a wonderful time, won't it? That's when the city will be called, Ezekiel 48, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. When the Lord comes, he will be there. And then it will be that we shall rightly be able to say that this temple is now a house of prayer, no longer a den of thieves. So there we are. That's as much as I can think of about say about the temple. Um, I hope it's not been put together too roughly. I've had a short time to do it, but... We have these things in mind, don't we? Ultimately, the glory will be in the temple, the Lord Jesus Christ himself.